0: Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration Pack. Today we are blessed to have a first-time guest who most of you already know quite well. He's Steve Cortez, who was an effective spokesman for Donald Trump in the 2016 and 2020 presidential campaigns and a former Newsmax TV show host. More recently, he has been crisscrossing America, supporting America First candidates. Well, Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Hey, Doug, appreciate it. Thank you.
0: So good deal. So really happy to have you here. Our audience knows you, obviously, but we want to hear you didn't you weren't always this big national political figure. In fact, earlier in your career, you had kind of a, you had a different looking career in the beginning. So we want to hear all about that and bring us up to speed to, to where you are now.
1: No, that's very true, Doug. So listen, I had uh, basically a midlife, a middle-aged career change, and one that I frankly didn't plan on. I wish I could tell you that, you know, I wish I had some brilliant strategy and I knew this was how things were going to unfold, but that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, through, through some skill and some luck, uh, this is just where I ended up, but I was a finance guy. And so from uh, out of college for 25 years, I traded bonds and stock indices for major institutional houses, mainly hedge funds, mostly over in Europe. And had an interesting and good career, uh, but that then led to television, which is what led uh, to politics. So I started on CNBC back in 2007, uh, first, I was just a very regular guest, and they thought I had some skill as a guest, so they asked me to come on as one of the broadcasters as part of the team, and I did the Fast Money franchise uh, for years. I did that for eight years. A lot of folks out there might know it. it's it's shown at noon Eastern time and then again at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And it's essentially almost, a, in a sense, a sports show, but instead of talking about teams and, and sports stats, you talk about stocks and tickers um, and, and earnings releases and that sort of thing. So that's where I learned you know, the craft of television, but we didn't get into policy a whole lot. Uh, But then fast forward to 2015, By that time it was almost inescapable to address policy and politics when discussing the economy and financial markets so i made the move over to fox news a lot of cnbc folks had recently at that time gone to fox business people like Maria bartiromo who i worked a lot with um, and and collaborated with a whole bunch so they recruited me over to fox and part of the reason was i wanted the ability to talk politics and particularly from a conservative angle which fox promised to afford me well i wasn't at fox very long because this uh this orange guy came down the escalator on fifth avenue and, uh, and really won me over. I was a skeptic at first, quite honestly, but he won me over. I had been kind of a, uh, a Wall Street Republican, I would describe myself, Doug. I, for example, I believed in, you know, quote, free trade. And uh, Donald Trump really changed my mind. I, I came to realize that he was right and that we did not have free trade. It was always managed, and it was managed generally against the interests of American workers. And so he won me over and turned me from an establishment Republican a Wall Street Republican into very much of a, of a populist nationalist where i am now so i ended up leaving fox news working for his campaign he said i need you on television didn't know him at all but uh recruited me to be part of his 2016 campaign lo and behold he pulled off the greatest upset in all of american history and i've basically been doing all media and politics ever since so that's my story of how i ended up uh, being one of the spokesmen and i hope one of the effective spokesmen for the america first movement
0: oh you were for sure that and i think it's uh really interesting how people with your background who had that business background, you know, you mentioned you were always Republican and you were conservative on some level, but that business background helps you see the world for what it really is. And then it gets into the policy. And I think that that, you know, if you care to comment on this, like how that shapes you as you get, you go through all that and then you see what Trump is talking about and like what you said about trade and everything else. You're like, hey, wait a minute. There is a right way to do this and
1: a wrong way to do it. Yes. No, and I'll tell you, so what I hope I bring to the political arena and to to political media particularly, what I hope I bring is some of that analytical background of Wall Street. So I have a lot of problems with Wall Street, by the way, and I think that Wall Street has used its political power largely to abuse Americans. But Wall Street does some things very well, obviously. And a lot of that is number crunching and data analysis. It's really sort of the lifeblood of Wall Street. So if I were to make a proposal to these major hedge funds who are some of the biggest players in the world of capital markets, believe me, I couldn't go with just sloganeering or just, Oh, it's my opinion, uh, you know, that interest rates are going to hit here. No, I had to give a reasonable, data-driven, evidence-driven analysis. Doesn't mean I'm always right, but it means there has to be. Evidence there there has to be a statistical foundation to it. Once I got into the political arena, Doug, I found out that sloganeering generally, unfortunately, sure. is the default. That is the norm right. rather than uh, approaching it from a data perspective. So I try to bring that and look, you can't dive too deeply into a data. If you get too far into the weeds, you lose regular people. But my point is what I try as much as I can to do in the political arena is to bring actual facts and numbers to the argument. I'll give you a real world example of this one that's very pertinent just this week. So I, I've been very deeply involved in the JD Vance campaign in Ohio. And one of the things that I and I did a lot of in-person campaigning with JD Vance all over Ohio as well as a lot of media appearances. And one of the things I've tried to, to convince Ohio voters of to earn their support for JD Vance is that Ohio all of America has suffered the ravages of globalism, but Ohio suffered them particularly. And, and, and disproportionately, and I use data to back that up. For example, and I think this is a really important and frankly uh, you know, depressing statistic, but something that needs to be addressed. The state of Ohio from 2001 until 2015, uh, before Donald Trump was elected on the, on the recent end, and then going back in time, 2001 was when China was allowed into the World Trade Organization on incredibly generous terms to the Chinese Communist Party. The state of Ohio lost 120,000 manufacturing jobs to China alone. And that's according, not not to Steve Cortez or some right-wing group, that's according to the Economic Policy Institute, and the EPI is a left-leaning think tank. But that's, you know, think of what that does, not just economically, but also culturally in society. When you lose 120,000 manufacturing jobs that are high-paying, family-sustaining jobs, what it does to the livelihoods of communities, what it does to the dignity of those individuals who lost those jobs, all because of predatory trade practices that we willingly allowed the Chinese to inflict upon the great people of Ohio. It's not that those Ohio workers couldn't compete, it's that it was a rigged game. So I like to use data to explain to people, this is what happened to you, and by the way, here's the solution. It's not enough to just curse the darkness, we have to also light that candle of, here's the solution, here's the way out, here's what Donald Trump was doing, here's what we can do again, if we elect the right Congress in 2022 and the right president in 2024.
0: Yeah, amen to that. And I think that that's exactly the the basic foundation of all politics is how's this affecting your day-to-day life? And you know all these people, whether you got laid off or somebody you know got laid off or you just look around your community and all these factories are closing and everything else, all these people are saying, this isn't working for us anymore. And then the uh, professional politicians are into sloganeering and that wears thin, obviously, over time. And you end up with what we had with President Trump. And then obviously, like I was going to bring up the J.D. Vance thing. I'm glad you already did that. So, you know, I I think that what would you think about this concept? I I feel like I'm starting to see in Republican primaries, the statewide folks like the governors or whatever, state legislators, obviously, it's they get a pass if they're professional politicians if they're insiders if they're establishment but it's starting to feel like if you're going to run for federal office and go to dc you might need to be an outsider because a lot Mm. of people are starting to say well if you get to dc and you're kind of a little corrupted already by the establishment, right. <laughs> you're gonna get even more when you get out there. I mean, what do
1: you, what do you think about that concept? Right. No, listen, you, you're right, Doug, and and I've seen this uh, now that I've spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. Thankfully, I've never had to live there and I hope I never do right. uh, because it truly is. I, I don't like to call it the Washington swamp, by the way, because I say swamps have nice things in them. Swamps have beautiful flowers, <laughs> right. for example. There's nothing beautiful about the political That's scene in funny, Washington, D.C. Yeah. So I call it the Washington sewer. So yeah, uh, sure. I, I hope to never live there, but I've spent a disordinate, um, amount of time there because of you know my career now. And I can tell you that it's, it's very enticing. It is to, to people who go there sometimes with the best of intentions to quickly sell out to the Washington establishment, to the permanent political class, to the administrative state that exists in this country, which is frankly incredibly successful for its own self-aggrandizement. Again, let me give you some data on this to prove my point. The five richest counties in America by income are all in the Washington, D.C. metro area. I mean, think about that. That's right. Wealthier than Silicon Valley, wealthier right. than the New York suburbs outside of Wall Street, wealthier than the North Shore of Chicago. Uh, they, uh, all those places I mentioned are doing fine but they're not doing nearly as well as the Beltway area. Why? It's not because Washington DC is curing cancer or is coming up with the next you know, most amazing technology. It's because our United States capital acts too much like the Capitol in the Hunger Games, quite frankly, and it siphons off of the districts, our prosperity and our rights. So to your point about outsiders, uh, and I think there's a lot of them running this year thankfully I, you know, I mentioned JD Vance but there's a lot of others I love Joe Kent in Washington State I love right. Jake Beckett down in Arkansas um, I love Kerry Lake not running for federal office but running for governor of Arizona there are a lot, all of those people I just named those four are newcomers to politics all of them bring significant experiences in the military and business and athletics in the case of Kerry Lake and television they bring those experiences and abilities to politics but they're they're coming at it with the agenda and vision of an outsider but you're right, these people also had to have the character then to stick to it, because I have seen politicians go to Washington, D.C. with pretty good intentions, um, you know, and then succumb to the allure of the establishment. And it's—listen, let me be concrete on this. One, one reason that it's, uh, it's easy to give in to the establishment is that leadership—and this is true of both the Democrats and the Republicans—leadership largely controls the funding. So if you are a good foot soldier for leadership, in terms of funding for your campaigns i mean you will get the funding you need for your campaign and it's hard to go out and work and earn um the support that you need to get reelected. Uh, so you we need to send people who have an outsider's perspective in my mind we need a lot more versions of donald trump and i don't mean stylistically they have to be like donald trump but i mean people who've been successful right. outside of politics and then people who also have the character and principle to stick to it, uh, and to never effectively go native in Washington, D.C.
0: Yeah, that's very well put, and I think that that's where everybody's heart is, whether they can, uh, at least in the base, where they can't fully express it sometimes, but that's what they're looking for, you know? And I, I, I love a lot of Trump's policies and everything, but it's like, what was that phenomenon? and it was it was this concept right here and it goes to we're losing our country because of you know the sewer i like that
1: i I, maybe i need to start using that term too Uh, so well and doug you know if i could Mm -hmm. when you say we're losing our country i I think we are absolutely but here's the the paradox there is that we've been winning elections okay we we are the majority I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that because we're not the majority in the power structures of America. But at the voter level, we are the majority. The majority of America believes in the America First Agenda, believes in cultural conservatism combined with uh, populist economic nationalism. We're the majority. So we've been winning elections with regularity, yet losing our country, right? right? We have to change that formula. We That's need to right. win elections and win the country back. Uh, and that takes a very different kind of approach, a very different attitude, a different policy agenda. I think we're getting that. I refer to it as the new right, but by whatever phrase you want you know, to use or however you want to describe it, um, there is an awakening, thankfully. Uh, now that awakening is, is uprising because of frankly, how dire things are in the country, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. as it relates to inflation right now. That is forcing a lot of people who weren't terribly political to become political and to become uh, animated in politics and to become activists. Uh, but again, let's stop winning elections and losing the country. Let's win elections and win the country back. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing that I'm hearing relative to this winning elections piece is uh, a lot of the folks I talk to, and this is how I feel about it too, is. You know, we can talk to are blue in the face about immigration and economics and everything, but if we don't have confidence in the actual election itself, then right. we got then we got bigger problems. And we'll we'll have you on some other time talk all about election integrity. We do a lot of work <laughs> on that around here, but that's Amen. you know we got to get to that place too because that's that's of eroding course. over time. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy time we live in. Um, back to the J.D. Vance thing uh, and also this uh, uh, this this Washington establishment thing. So. You wrote a piece on his stance uh on the war in ukraine and yes. um you know we're all uh, all, all of us uh, what i would call true conservatives are thinking the same thing okay wh- why would we want to get involved in that and we all think we right. know the answer but i'll let you talk about what you said in that piece and, and and get everybody up to speed on that
1: sure well you know unfortunately when i mentioned uh washington dc and the way the capital operates in our country Uh, Nothing nothing empowers Washington, DC and the permanent political class like war. And so the Washington war machine is really revving up again. And I really believe that they see in Ukraine a chance for another Iraq, a new Afghanistan. And I know that sounds crazy because our experiences were so terrible in both of those wars, uh, but believe me, I would, I would try to persuade regular folks out there who aren't maybe involved full-time in politics, believe me, the Washington war machine, and what do I mean by that? I mean K Street lobbyists. I mean the giant defense contractors. I mean the think tank uh, supposed foreign policy experts, the supposed experts at Foggy Bottom at the State Department. All of them are pining for war. They are desperately trying to escalate U.S. involvement in what I believe is clearly a regional struggle in Ukraine. I think what's going on there is an absolute human tragedy. I right. think Putin, right. uh, his invasion is totally unjustifiable and he's inflicting pain upon regular Ukrainian civilians. I also think that as Americans, we need to take a dispassionate look in the world, at the world, and only intervene uh, in instances where there is a significant vital U.S. national security interest at stake. No more needless nation building, war fighting, um, and, and interventions all over the world. To put a dollar figure on this, you know, again, I like data and evidence, put a dollar figure on this, According to brown university i'm not again i'm not citing a right-wing organization according to brown university study the wars in iraq and afghanistan have cost the united states a total of eight trillion dollars i mean Doug, do you know what we could have done in this country with $8 trillion? And then, by the way, even worse than the money, also cost us almost 8,000 American lives, precious American souls who are gone. And by the way, also thousands more American souls who were not killed, but who are grievously wounded, either physically or mentally because of their experiences in in these wars. So we need to learn the lessons of what the Washington Uniparty, because Republicans were every bit as complicit as Democrats in promoting and inflicting these wars upon the American people. I think George W. Bush in some ways is actually more guilty than Obama is, but they're both guilty regarding these wars. Donald Trump came to office as a peace president. Uh, He insisted in an American foreign policy of realism and restraint, but with Trump out of office right now, the Washington establishment believes, including a lot of Republicans, believes here's their chance in Ukraine. Thankfully, J.D. Vance, who himself is a Marine veteran, somebody who was deployed to Iraq, who saw war firsthand, he had the guts to stand up in a very competitive primary, okay? He had some very high-quality, well-funded opponents in that primary, but he had the guts to stand up and he was the only one to do this and say, We do not want to escalate in Ukraine. He said no to a no-fly zone. Uh, Some of his opponents tried to hide behind the caveat of, well, the no-fly zone will be enforced by our European partners rather than by America. But if you think about that for more than a second, you realize that they will quickly, our partners, Germany, Poland, whoever it is, will quickly get into a shooting war with Russia, which then obliges the United States to directly intervene in a shooting war with russia an incredibly reckless stance that the corporate media is trying to promote constantly right now so we need in my view more voices like jd vance like president trump who put out thankfully uh, for a very strong statement on exactly this point and he said we need to be the force of de-escalation let's get these two sides to negotiate uh what's going on is a tragedy but it is a regional struggle it does not involve the national interest of the united states and by the way doug i would stipulate that if there is a border for us to worry about, it is not the eastern border of Ukraine, it is the southern border of the United States.
0: That's right, that's right. Lots of problems down there. And it's like, look over here at this shiny thing right now. And you're right, it's a total tragedy. And I always feel now too, what happens is there's this complacency leading up to this. It's like all these things over the years, Putin's been talking about this for a long time, a lot of things we haven't done over the years in terms of just like fortifying Ukraine or, frankly, Ukraine fortifying themselves more and all those things that have, have gone on. And then you got Keystone, Nord Stream 2. He's got all the money he needs. And then suddenly there's this disaster. And then it's like it's the next crisis that they don't want to let to go to waste. And so, OK, now we're going to right. talk about getting involved. And I'm like, always oh, like. Okay, where were you guys when this was all leading, we were leading up to this? It does feel like what you're talking about. It's like, hey, well, we're here, we got to deal with it. So let's, uh, let's spend a lot more money and a lot more treasure and lives and everything else.
1: Yeah, and to that point, by the way, Doug, of energy policy, because I think this is critical. Look, here's the reality: right now, NATO is funding both sides of this war. Right. I mean, which is which is insanity, right? right? I mean, in my view, we are literally funding both sides. And what I mean by that, the United States taxpayer. It was announced last week that Joe Biden wants to send 33 billion dollars, with yeah. a B over to Ukraine, by the way, no strings attached, one of the most corrupt governments on earth. And again, I'm not justifying the invasion, far from it. But I'm saying uh, this, this is not a fight of pure goodness and pure light against pure evil, it just isn't, okay? But we're gonna send $33 billion of American taxpayer money over to Ukraine at the exact same time. And this was reported by Bloomberg. The Europeans, since the war began in late February, the Europeans have bought precisely double that amount in Russian energy. They have bought $66 billion of Russian Russian energy. They are continuing to buy it, Doug, as we speak. Masses and masses of oil and gas coming from Russia directly to Europe. So here's my answer uh, is this has to matter more to the Europeans than it does to us, right? This is in their neighborhood. If this is truly a crisis beyond Ukraine, and I don't believe that it is, but let's say for the sake of argument that truly Putin doesn't just want Ukraine, he wants Ukraine plus, he wants to march on Europe. Uh, Again, I don't agree with that, but that's what the warmongers are trying to tell us. Well then, Doug, this is Europe's problem. These are wealthy, advanced countries, and they should be more than willing to number one, defend themselves. But number two, if they really fear Russia that much, then stop sending billions of dollars right. by the day to the to what they regard as the Russian beast.
0: Yeah, how about it? Yeah, it's just common sense. And we just end up in this place where it's like, we've had all these years of not doing the common sense thing and now we end up where we are. So yeah, I, I totally agree. All right, shifting topics real quick. So crazy uh, times here, Roe v. Wade's looking like it's going down, uh, praise God. Uh, and then we got this leak. And it turns everything upside down. So what what do you think, though, where we are uh, relative to the midterms and how the impact, in your view, how how it's going to impact the the midterms?
1: Sure. Well, you know, first, just let me say this. This is an amazing victory for life, an amazing victory for mothers and babies in this country. And there are so many people who really toiled for 50 years to see this moment. And a lot of that toil, a lot of that work, frankly, was in the political wilderness. It looked like it could never happen. So a lot of faithful people, a lot of prayer. Uh, and a lot of hustle, and and all of them just deserve so much credit. And you know who deserves perhaps more credit than anyone right now is President Donald Trump, uh, who was the most pro-life president in American history. And this is his legacy. And even if he never goes back in the in the Oval Office, I hope he does. I hope to help get him there in 2024. But whether or not he does, uh, this is this is a legacy that he deserves and an honor. You know that is largely his, not only his but largely his. But regarding the midterms then, if I sort of, you know, switch tax and just put on my, um, you know, from being a a thankful patriot, um, uh, to put on my my campaign hat and my strategist hat, I honestly don't think this is gonna have a massive effect upon 2022 elections. And here's why. I think it will have a slight positive net effect for Republicans, for pro-life candidates, uh, for people who are on the fence who, uh, for example, there's a lot of committed Christians out there who don't necessarily like the style and bombast of Donald Trump. Uh, I hope some of them will see the fruits of what Trump Trump did and and recognize this massive victory for pro-life people. So I think it will bring a few more people into the America first fold. But regarding the people who are most upset about this, the people who are outraged that this is going to go back to the states where it always belonged in the first place, Those people who are outraged, Doug, in my view, and the polling backs this up, those are not people that we could win over anyway. And that's just the reality. I do not believe those were persuadable voters. Um, And given that, again, corporate media wants us to accept a narrative that this is massively consequential for the elections and that it's going to embarrass and imperil Republican candidates around the country. I just don't see that. Could be wrong but when i look at the polling america is very very divided on this issue i think that's the that's the the honest answer there's not a massive pro-life majority nor is there a massive pro majority uh, abortion majority when, when the questions are asked in an honest way there is a slight pro-life majority that's what the numbers actually tell us for example a recent gallup poll shows that 52 percent Amer- of americans believe that abortion should be always or most of the time illegal The other side is 45%. So the country's very divided. But also, look, federalism works. There are a lot of states that are not divided. So states like Alabama and Tennessee are going to reach very different solutions than states like Illinois and California and New York. And, you know, that's not okay from a moral perspective, of course, because I don't want any baby harmed. But from a political perspective, that's okay. That's how the system is supposed to work. I suspect a lot of America will actually end up where europe is where abortion is technically legal but very very restricted and very difficult to get that's the that is the democratic small d consensus that most advanced countries in the world reached because they were allowed to do it through a democratic process we were disallowed from that we were uh, restrained from that illogically so and unconstitutionally so for 50 years now we're going to have that conversation and debate in this country i think ultimately it's a healthy thing and i frankly doug i don't see big Consequential fallout for the 2022
0: vote, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's the extremes that'll be involved in the in any fallout, if there is any, which will be small. Uh, but what a great day! What a great day! Moving in the yes. right direction Amen. for sure, Amen. for sure. Uh, last question for you. So we get into this next election. You know, how do we avoid complacency? I ask everybody this. Like. <laughs> sure. It's looking pretty good how do we not be you know get into complacency and uh and and hurt ourselves here and then how do we going on the other side of that election how do we go into 2024 what do we need to maintain what do we need to grow into in your opinion that'll get us uh, keep us on this good path that we're on well
1: listen it's it's a fantastic point that yeah we sure can't get complacent you know because to our earlier point we've been winning elections but losing the country for a long time now thankfully i think the democrats in a way and, and biden and the ruling class in this country, they've almost done us a favor, not that they meant to, but their policies have been so disastrous so quickly you know, that, again, a lot of people have been forced to care. And what I mean by that is people who may not be all that political, people who might not be that engaged in, the, in you know, following the economy, they have been forced to care because every time they go to the gas pump or the grocery store or pay their rent, they are being crushed right now real wages are crashing in this country. and That's not bad luck. It's not because of the business cycle. It's a consequence of terrible policies. So thankfully, I think our job is relatively easy in terms of getting people motivated because Mm -hmm. again, I think they're being forced to care, but, but we can't only rely on that, right? We can't be lackadaisical. In terms of motivating people, I believe, firmly that there are sort of so many things going wrong right now. So many created crises because of Joe Biden and because of what Pelosi and Schumer and I would argue Mitch McConnell and Republicans, because of what they have inflicted upon this country that we can lose focus. And as a messaging guy, which is my my world, where I live in in political messaging and in media, we need to don't major in the minors. We need to focus on the things that matter most to real Americans. And I believe it's the two eyes, it's inflation, and immigration, inflation, immigration. I think if we focus on those two issues, um, we not just win our base. I mean, we will get them and we will motivate our base to turn out and coalesce and unite behind real America first candidates all over the country. But I think we also get then people who either weren't politically engaged or were leaning to the democratic side because no one, no reasonable person, unless you are a hardcore dogmatic leftist, no reasonable person thinks that effectively open borders, which is what we have in this country right now, is good for our country. And no reasonable person believes that surging prices, 40-year highs by every single metric on inflation with crashing real wages um, is a good scenario for this country. So things are pretty dire right now, Doug, and I think it's important. I never sugarcoat it Coat it for the American people. They know it, and particularly the deplorables. Our, our people, our mot- most motivated people know it out there. So don't sugarcoat it. Things are bad. Unfortunately, I think they're likely to get worse in the near term, but politically, Uh, the situation is becoming better and better for the America First movement. I firmly believe we're going to elect Republican majorities in the Congress this year in both the House and Senate, but not just Republican majorities, America First Republican majorities with the kinds of stalwarts and fighters and outsiders that I was talking about earlier. And that can transform politics in this country and prepare the way for a 2024 election where we either reelect Donald Trump, I would argue for a third time, that would be his third victory, or another great America First leader.
0: Yeah, we're on the edge of something great, I think, and uh, that's really well put. And we're all praying for that and hope it comes to be. And, Steve, you've done great work over the years. Uh, Really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your opinion, and I think you're dead on on so many things. And and look forward to you uh, continuing to contribute to the success we have
1: uh, ahead of us here. You bet. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. Appreciate it.
0: All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting Conservative Media. Don't forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America.
1: First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right all caps, one word, to 30161.